Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Just wait until off we go. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you are listening from episode, uh, listening to episode 10 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the only active Wakefield Trinity Podcast worldwide. worldwide. I am Lee Robinson, and today I'm flying solo, and it's just me and my valued guest. Tonight, we have a gent who's been involved with the game professionally for the last 43 years. He's had two playing stints at Trinity. Uh, he's played in every available cup final whilst playing on Humberside, played for Yorkshire, he's played for England, he's, um, he moved into the coaching world where he took Trinity to Super League and also coached in the World Cup. A big welcome to an old pal of mine, Andy Kelly. Yeah, thanks for having me along, Lee. I've uh, been looking forward to it, to be honest. That was a big intro, mate, wasn't it? I went 43 yeah, years. Yeah, I liked it. Time. I was trying to think who you were talking about at one point. <laughs> so what these days, mate, I know you're at Huddersfield, uh, just before we get started, how's life there? Have you had a busy day? Yeah, it's, it's, my days are generally busy there. I've accumulated a number of job titles over the. I think it is a job to do around the, the first team and the academy or scholarship now. I generally get that job given to me. Uh, I love I love the game. I love being involved in it, so I don't turn too much down. I, I'm getting better at delegating as I'm getting older, I have to say. <laughs> Good stuff. First question we always ask everybody and all our guests is, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Just pride and and camaraderie. They're the words I think about. They just I can remember as far back as signing for Wakefield Trinity and the pride that I felt, my hometown club, and that never left me. I've always been proud of who I am as far as uh, Wakefield Trinity are concerned. So I think pride's one of the biggest words for me. Wonderful, good stuff. Um, after all the research we've done, we've half mentioned it already, you've been non-stop in rugby league. Uh, you've had one hell of an experience over these 43 years since you started in 79. That was your debut. You must love rugby league. I, I do love rugby league, and sometimes it offends you, you know, and it, it mistreats you, and uh, you don't get from it what you feel that you should because of your endeavours and hard work, but... I've always bounced back. I've always come back to it. I've had lots of different employment guises that have fit around rugby league, but rugby league's always been my core business. Good stuff, yeah. Well, what was your first experience with rugby league? Was it watching? Was it playing? Or was it just in the backyard, battling your brothers? Well, I think a combination of in the backyard uh, with the brothers, a family of six living on Lupsit and having a a garden that fit on three sides of a house. So I rugby league feel, I always step to the left because I always played from the front to the back. <laughs> so you had to go around two corners, left-hand corners to get to a try line. But yeah, in, in the garden with the family and uh, I first started playing at English Martyrs School. So at the age of around nine years of age, it was when I was introduced to rugby league. Good stuff. Tell us about growing up in a big family in Wakefield. Were you the eldest? Uh, no, I'm, I'm three of six, so we always numbered ourselves like dominoes, really. My, my <laughs> oldest sister, who, who sadly passed at the age of 49, but she, she, was, the, she was the top dog in the house. She, she could batter us all, to be honest. And uh, then I've got an older brother, Paul, who played at Wakefield Trinity in the academy. Uh, there's myself, Neil, who played at Wakefield Trinity, and Rich, uh, Elizabeth and then Richard. Elizabeth never played for Wakefield Trinity. She watched them often enough, but Richard also played for the club. 
I remember Liz from school because uh, we went yeah. to the same school and I reckon Liz could have played for Wakefield to see if she wanted to. Yeah, yeah, she, she's not without a bit of toughness, but I guess that with four lads in the house and being the next to the youngest, she had to be robust as well. I remember, I don't know Paul, I've never met Paul, but I've, I've seen him on team photos and I didn't realise he was your brother. What happened to yeah, him? Yeah. Did he not, not make it in the game? No, Paul actually was very good at football. And I think if we were a family that pushed football, he, he'd have probably done very well, unlike myself. I, I, I was the proverbial tool at feet. But Paul was a very good centre forward and uh, he played up to academy age group at Wakefield and then uh, played, we went and played football locally. Yeah, so he played at Slazingers and around a couple of uh, pub-based teams, if you like. Good stuff. And you've already mentioned you've got two other brothers who went on to Wakefield Trinity. There's only been three, two sets of three brothers played in the history of the club, yourselves and the Foxes. So that's quite an achievement. Yeah, yeah. And to be ranked amongst the Foxes is quite a... You know, it's quite a high accolade. Um, yeah, we've, we've never actually played in the same team, which, you know, obviously you saw the Burgess actually, the Burgess brothers actually did. We've played against each other, but never in the same team. Yeah, good stuff. You had a quite a successful junior career. I remember when you were, obviously when you were at Thomas and Beckett, I remember you get picked for Yorkshire, you got picked for England. What's your memories from that time? Because I vaguely remember you playing in the same international side as Ellery Hanley. Yeah, I guess that's my recollection. Um, I missed out on the England under-13s as they were there. I actually got sent off for swearing at a referee, so that was a lesson learned very early in my career. <laughs> but by the age of 16, I played for Yorkshire and I played for England. And in that England side and the Yorkshire side were some quite notable names, Ellery Hamley uh, being one of them, as you've just said. But Henderson Gill played in that side as well. They were... Uh, yeah, there was Neil James, who went on to play for Castleford and Halifax. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of notable people, but I remember Ellery and Henderson. Henderson's first boogie was playing for England. It's oh, uh, got an absolutely fantastic try up at Whitehaven and boogied at the end of it. And uh, I remember El Ellery Hanley scoring a try over at York against, I, I believe it was against Lancashire that game. And he started to try and just stood up there and proudly acclaimed Yorkshire at the top of his voice. So, you know, he was very passionate and uh, so were they at that time. Very good. I've got the England team in front of me. Uh, Neil Holding was full-back who went on to St. Helens. Yeah. Um, Martin Foy stand off from Oldham. Yeah. Uh, Mike O'Neill, Witness at Prop. Go on, keep going. Mike O'Neill at Prop from Witness. Yeah, yeah. So Steve O'Neill, who coached with Ireland with me, was his older brother. So I, I often ask about Mike. Yeah. I remember the name Stockley as well from Wigan. He was yeah, Trevor Stockley. Yeah. And Andy McGowan. I, I remember always thinking, being quite proud as a kid, that two Wakefield players had been picked for England. So Andy McGowan, did, did he go to Beckett's as well? Yeah, he did go to Beckett's. In fact, his dad, Michael McGowan, was very instrumental in my rugby league career. He was one of the biggest influences throughout my junior career. And he, he helped coach and assisted coaching through school. We played in the Kirklees League. Uh, it was almost a, a town team that played in the Kirklees League. So a lot of the lads that played for Wakefield and uh, Yorkshire schools actually played in that team as well. And uh, Mick McGowan was, was always a strong influence. Coached at Wakefield as well. So, you know, it, it was about my life for a long time. And I, I was always grateful to Michael. Yeah, excellent. Did you always want to sign for Trinity as a youngster? Was it an aim, a target? Yeah, I think so. I think at that time, you, you know, you, you never envisage everywhere. You know, they say the, the world's a smaller place now, and it is because of the transport me mechanisms. And 
places seemed a long way away. You know, even Leeds and Bradford and places like that seemed a long way away when you were growing up. So Wakefield was always the, the, the centre of my thoughts. And at the time where I signed, I could have gone to Widnes, who were the Cook Kings. Uh, Leeds were interested. And I spoke with Peter Fox in the Lupsit Hotel, as it was then, uh, about signing for Bradford. But um, it was funny because when I signed for Wakefield, I was, I was down at the Empire of Stores playing fields where the, the, the Empire Stores now being replaced by housing. But you used to have like 200 aside and every age group you can think of playing in a game. And I remember a guy cycling down to my house to tell me to get home because there was a Rolls Royce parked outside my house on Lupsit. And uh, <laughs> the chairman of Wakefield was in your house and you, you need to get home now. So, you know, and, and that, that's, I raced home and Trevor Woodward was the chairman then and he was uh, speaking with my dad and my mum about me signing for Wakefield when I actually arrived home. Oh, brilliant. I didn't know that about Witness and, uh, and the Bradford tappings as well. Yeah, uh, I think the fact that Peter Fox had spoken to me in the Luxor Hotel said took local tongues wagging. Yeah. And that probably then uh, sort of um, speeded up the process in, as far as Wakefield were concerned. I think they, they thought that I might go elsewhere. Yeah, good stuff. And then obviously when you sign for Trinity, you start, you, do you play in a team called the Supporters Under-17s? Is that, was that like the... Yeah, that's right, yeah. We, it's, it's hard to explain to people that probably then the academy junior setup was the Wakefield Trinity Supporters. And, yeah, you know, we went to Fryston, but effectively you were playing the Castleford junior side. Uh, if you went to play at Featherston, Featherston as there weren't Lions then, but... Uh, they might have been actually, but you know, each each club had their own supporters club. So you were actually playing as a supporters club, but you were playing against other junior academies, if you want to call them that. Excellent. We, we didn't have a bad Colts side either, because when you got promoted to the Colts, you played in two cup finals in when you were 17, 18. I think we won the Premiership against Full Kingston, but we lost the Challenge Cup against Cass Castleford. Do you remember those? I remember, I, I'm not sure, I, I remember the um, the game uh, against Old Kingston because we played over at what was the old Far Town. Um, and, you know, I remember a couple of players that I'd played against, but I were, I were at the younger end then. And uh, everybody seemed that little bit bigger. But yeah, I do remember that game. I don't necessarily remember the Castleford one. So maybe I, I was on the periphery of that. I used to get to um, run the touchline at that point. So I was, I, I was a touch... In my junior end of the those academy years, I was pretty much a good touch judge at that time with a pair of shorts in me and to wave around. Um, and then my first trip abroad was with that group of players. So they took me as a 16-year-old to France. I'd never been abroad before. And uh, yeah, I got a rude awakening with regards to what a pair of teeth were. I never saw the main course of one of the games. Uh, after one of the games at the function afterwards, I remember waking up the day after and... Uh, couldn't remember anything about the night before. Mick McGowan, who was on that trip with us, was appalled by my behaviour because I had just drunk too much thinking it were big and clever and it wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, you learn some lessons when you go with older boys. Yeah, yeah. I've got that team sheet, that, that premiership final, uh, we're talking 1978. We beat Old Kingston Rovers 23-20. Um, you came off the bench and there's some names that were sort of quite ones that I know quite well who went on to first team level. Um, the halfbacks were Steve Tinker and Dave Wanless. Yes. Um, centres, Mark Guest and Steve Reid. Uh, looks forward, Johnny Thompson. Yeah. Captain, Dean, Dean Robinson. Yeah, yeah, Dean, big Dean went on. I think he finished up at Castleford, played at Castleford. Maybe yeah. maybe also at Bramley, I can't remember, but I know he moved around a bit, Dean. But 
Yeah, he was in the police force. Ah, yeah, yeah. And then there's some names, obviously, you might remember, I don't know too well. Uh, wingers, Colin Bedford, Kevin McNicholas? Yeah, Kevin McNicholas was, uh, he was a Wakefield lad, again, a Thomas Beckett's lad, and he actually had a, a, a motorbike accident that put him in a wheelchair. And so, uh, unfortunately, his rugby league career came to an abrupt end. The one thing about Kevin was uh, he went on to represent Great Britain in the the Olympics as a shot putter and discus. Uh, he might have even done javelin, but discus and javelin. And I used to speak to Kevin sometimes in epis, you know, when he was trying to manoeuvre around uh, in his wheelchair. And he always said he achieved probably some of his ambitions in a wheelchair that he wouldn't have done in uh, as a rugby league player. He wanted to play for Great Britain like we all did, but he ended up representing Great Britain in the... Uh, the uh, Olympics. Oh, in interesting, interesting. Uh, and then just the final one, listening to this team, the front row, Neil Walshaw, Andy McGowan and Paul Pashley. Yeah, big Paul. Them? Yeah, Paul Pashley was, uh, again, I think he, there was, he was a Stanley lad, Paul, and uh, yeah, he was a character. He was a, he was a good man. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember Paul quite vaguely. Excellent. Do you remember your debut, your first team debut? I thought I do, yeah. It was in the... Uh, BBC Two Floodlink Trophy at Castleford. And, it was. Uh, yeah, I was I was on the bench for that one and came off the bench. And what I, I do recall, and I'm almost certain my recollection, I almost felt like a, a missile had gone across the top of my head. And I think I had my wits about me and got under it. And I think it was Malcolm really, if I'm being honest. Welcome <laughs> into the world of the big time. Um, yeah, so I do remember that. I do remember the uh, the debut then. Yeah, that was sort of, it looks like they've put a few reserves in, and kids as well, yeah. because yeah. it was Wembley year, and so you've got your uh, Steve Diamonds, Brian Juliffs, uh, Ali McCurry playing, but then you've got people like yourself, um, Adrian, is it Adrian Plummer, fullback? Yeah, Adrian Plummer would have played fullback, another Thomas Beckett's a lad. Was uh, he? So right. Produced That's... some good players. He was a year older than me, so he was in Steve Tinker's year at school. Ah, yeah. Dean Robinson got in, he played at number eight. Yeah. Um, do, 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 do. Who was the other ones? Dave Needham. Remember Dave Needham? I do remember Dave Needham. Quite a rugged, tough. I'm, I'm going to say centre. I might be wrong, but I think he, I think he played centre or half. And he was a rugged, tough player. Dave, his, yeah. his nose told you that. <laughs> so him and Tinker was was the halfbacks, and then yeah. Johnny Johnny played Johnny Thompson in the second row. Yeah, my my beginnings are with Johnny Thompson. So I went up to East Moor as uh, as part of discovering where community rugby lived. I went to East Moor and played at East Moor, and uh, Johnny was already up there. I remember he commanded the back seat with Julie, who is still <laughs> with my partner. So they always had the middle of the back seat, and they controlled the bus, Johnny and Julie. Um, but very early age, I met Johnny Thompson, and we both signed very close to each other. Johnny signed. Maybe November '77, and I signed January or February '78. So we were always very close together. Wonderful. And just before we leave that game, even Castleford had it was the score was 22-12 against our youngsters. But when you look at the cast side, you've already mentioned Malcolm Reilly, the front row George Ballantyne and Kevin Ward. Yeah, big, big. <laughs> yeah, halfbacks Bruce Burton and Gary Stevens, um, Jeff Wraith at fullback, and John Joyner in the centre. Yeah, some tremendous players. Absolutely. Uh, and, and some of them had already played away for like George and Jeffrey, if you know, they were players. I can remember, again, as a junior player, maybe cutting a corner and the penalty for cutting the corner, I had to piggyback John, uh, George Ballantyne the length of the field at Bellevue as it is now. And that is a long field and he was a, he was a big man. So 
it was a fair way to carry the length of the field. I was never late again, I have to be honest. <laughs> Brilliant. That was your one and only game that year, but the following season, we're talking 1980-81, that's when you seem to find your first team feet. You played, we, we, actually finished, we actually finished fourth in the league that year. And I remember you running off David Topless, Alan Agar, and that's when you sort of developed into a first teamer. Do you remember that season? I do remember the season, and, and I'm, I'm going to, you might correct me, but I think it was Ray Batten's tutelage at that point. It was, yes. And Ray Batten was, a, I, I thought he was a, he was the style of player as a player before he coached that probably understood how I played as a player and saw my value to the team. So he introduced me um, at various times. I, you, you, might have, you might have the running order, but I can remember playing Salford away in one of my earlier games. It might have been my first away game or... Yeah, got that. The great, the great matter does... Uh, does sort of mix things together over the years. But um, Alan Prescott, so I was young and, and quite full of, you know, pushing forward. And I remember pushing my head through a tackle early in my game and uh, Alan Prescott just full on forearm me in the nose, bust my nose. And as I went to floor, he dropped on me and went, welcome to the game, son. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, cheers. Could you just not have shook my hand and said hello kind of thing? But yeah. <laughs> Um, Ray, Ray, I think Ray Batten got me and understood how I would benefit, you know, Alan Agar and Dave Topless, who, who were the creators in the team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I used to just have to turn up in the right place and, and they'd make sure that the ball got there. Yeah, and we didn't have a bad, a bad side. Just looking at that side, for example, that Salford game you mentioned, we had, um, it, was, it was Steve Diamond fullback. Uh, the wingers were still Fletcher, and Andrew Fletcher and uh, Brian Jewellif. We've mentioned Topless and Agar. Props were Roy Bratt and Colin Forsyth. Uh, the back three were Johnny Thompson, Kevin Ray, Mike Lamkoski, and yourself off the bench. Yeah. So yeah, great, uh, great players. Yeah. And, and a, a solid team. Uh, you, you just you just look back and you see sort of the depth and quality and the characters that are in there. You know, I can remember like that year was probably the first time I'd been I'd been asked to go into the first team dressing room as they were. And you probably remember the dressing rooms in the in the old church where you got like two box rooms almost like partitions built together. And the furthest away from Frank Riles' room, who was the kit man, was was where we used to go as kids. And then the first team dressing room was the nearest to the kit dock. I remember getting invited in and somebody actually said to me, put your stuff there. So I hung him on a peg, and it was it was Mike Lamkowski's peg. So when I came back after training, my stuff was in the middle of the floor, wet through. And Mike <laughs> Lamkowski says, "That's my peg. You're not ready for that one yet." Sort of thing. So again, that's, there was a pe there was a pecking order very early. But that's a familiar story. Sorry, that's a familiar story. So a lot of youngsters have told me that tale, where somebody yeah. somebody plays a trick. That's your peg, and then they yeah. find the kit in the bath later on. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's true. You know, I talk to people now from other clubs, and they all say the same that they, they all made that mistake of somebody putting them on a peg, and it was it was obviously the peg of somebody who would definitely throw it in the bath or in the shower area. So yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it's just it, you, you get introduced to a pecking order, don't you? And there's yeah, a sequence yeah. of actually getting to the top of that pecking order. Brilliant. Well, that season it kept going. Oh, well, at Christmas we were top of the league. We'd actually beaten Ulkington Rovers 25-20. We'd actually gone to the Boulevard at Hull and won 5-2. Um, and then the wheels fell off a little bit. We lost to Barrow home and away. And then we picked up at the end and we did the double over Leeds and we, we put 40 past them at Bellevue. So we actually finished fourth in the league. So it was one hell of a season. 
Yeah, yeah. I can remember the Leeds game um, because the Leeds didn't want the ball. I think Leeds had just decided that were it, game over, and we kept <laughs> kicking the ball back to them, I think, so we could taunt them and just rub the nose in a little bit. And it, it was really, um, it you know, for a Wakefield Trinity team to beat Leeds twice and beat them comfortably, then that's a big thing. You know, the local rivalry says that's a big thing. Probably worth a pint in the Graziers, that one. There's another fellow, of all the players I've mentioned this season, this fella, Keith Smith. Tell me about Keith Smith, because he was a hero of mine when I was a kid, but by golly, he, he was a player. Keith was a, an unbelievable player, and he, he, I'm not I'm not being disrespectful to Keith. It was almost like he, he sometimes felt he was a reluctant player. He just felt like he probably wanted to be anywhere but where he was. So <laughs> when you sat on a bus with him going to away games, he'd be... He'd be stroking his sideburns in a in a nervous manner, or if you're sat in the dressing room, he never looked like he wanted to be there until he got to the field. And once he got to the field, that's where it probably then became very comfortable. You know, well, I'm here now, I'm gonna play. And he was just fantastic. He, he he could support, he could run, he could play centre, he could play fullback, he could play half back. Um, he could feed, he could feed off. He was just a really highly talented player. He played England Rugby Union, you know. You don't, you don't get to that level if you can't play the game of rugby. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I was always happy to hear about his, you know, when he passed at a young age, and it was always a, it was, it was always sad to hear that. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Following season, in 81-82, I think Ray Batten, Batten had gone. I think Bill Asher's took over. And the wheels fell off. You know, we were relegated. And it was like, how do, how do we go from fourth to relegated? And then all the players disappeared. Do you remember yeah. that scene? Yeah, I think, I think pre-season players departing um, to other clubs was a big factor. You talked about the good players we had the year before. And I think we lost quite a number then, didn't we, Lee, that, yeah. in that yeah. first season? Um, yeah. I know I broke my arm early in that year, so it was... I actually broke my arm on my 21st birthday, so that was a, a weird gift. Um, and it was the first I, it was the first tackle of the game where I actually broke the arm. I played on, but not because I'm a heroic, but I didn't realise I broke my arm. And I, then we used to keep short from the front row of court. And as I come in with a swinging arm, he ducked his head and I hit the top of his head. And every player around, you think, you know you've done something. Right? Like Clive Pickerel and people like that and Billy... Billy Harris was shouting at me, get up, get up, softy, get up, you know, play on, play on. And I played on for about 10 minutes and tackled somebody else and I just felt a clunk and then looked and there was a dip in my shirt where my arm had sort of depressed and that's when you know it's more than just a, a bruise that you've got on your forearm. But that kept me out for a long, long time. I, I don't know how many games I played at the back end of the season, but it did keep me out. I had to have a a plate put in my arm which is still in the arm now to this day and um it kept me out a long time do you remember who it was against it was against bradford was yeah yeah i've got that because yeah. you've answered my next question i was i was asking you why were you out three months in that year but obviously you've you've, you've answered the question you saw that the bradford game was in november and you missed two or three months yeah i was in plaster a long time i it was really funny because at the time of year it was, obviously, I broke it in November. So I went straight off to hospital for surgery. And uh, like I said, it was my 21st birthday. So the lads I knew from Wakefield were coming to the game and then I was going to go out for a drink with them afterwards. By the time they got in the ground from whatever pub they'd been in, um, I were already on my way to hospital. So, <laughs> And then um, 
I was in, I went back after 10 days. I had like a half cast on my arm and then bandages. So I went back after 10 days to have the stitches removed. And there was like some old ladies there, older ladies there who had fallen and got fractures. And there were kids there that had fallen in the, in the ice or whatever and got fractures. And they're all being brave. And, and then they took the strapping off my arm and I saw the big scar up my arm and these big black stitches. <laughs> I thought I was going to pass out. The nurse had to ask me to lie down. I thought, well, there's all these others brave in it. And, but yeah, it was it. It was a tough thing. It was the biggest injury I'd had in my career at that point and uh, probably still remains as the biggest injury I got. And, but it kept me out a long time. Mm, yeah. I'm just looking at the team of that year. It's, we finished fourth the year before, but then the team changed so dramatically that following season. David Topless had gone to Hull. Alan Agar yeah. had gone to Carlisle. So our halfbacks to begin with were Johnny Lyons and Dale Fennell, two smashing fellas. Clive Perry Pickerel was brought in. Uh, we had Steve Tinker in, um, a fella called Derek Parker. Do you remember Derek? Yeah, yeah Derek Centre uh, from Bradford. Then, yeah, Gray Walters in the centre. Yeah, funny guy, Gray Walters. He was funny. I see. So that was the back line. So it changed the match. Keith Smith played three games and retired, walked away. Uh, and then in the pack, we signed Billy Harris, which you've mentioned. Um, Ian Hopkinson, you remember Hoppy? Yeah, yeah, I remember Hoppy. Yeah, um, he came through the system. Um, Ray Baxendale, Kiwi, New Zealander. Yeah, yeah, nice bloke, tough bloke. Not the, yeah. Again, one of those, not the biggest, but in terms of heart and courage, he was right in there. Yeah. Um, Graham Eccles from Leeds. Yeah, I remember Graham, yeah, tough, tough, really, back end of his career, but a really sort of tough, down-to-earth player. Yeah, yeah. And then when Hooker, David Heslop came from Hull Kingston Rovers, yeah. and Colin Maskell came through the juniors. Yeah, Colin, cheeky Colin, still the same these days. When you meet him now, isn't he? I haven't changed much, Colin. No, he hasn't, has it? So that was our team, and we got relegated. We, we finished bottom of the Oh, we finished in the relegation zone. I think Featherston and Castleford put us down. Um, yeah, we played. Did we play Castleford last game of the season? I can remember. I couldn't. I was in tears before I got off the field. Oh, it yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. I actually think I scored in that game. And if I didn't, Paul McDermott did. I'll tell you. Um, no, McDermott did. He, he, the yeah, yeah. Five, I made a break and Paul fed off the inside of me and yeah. went under the post. But we just didn't put enough together to hold off the two points in that game. And oh. I was distraught when I left the field to be yeah. part of that, you know, Wakefield getting relegated. I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, there were tears, not just from me, quite a number of players. We, we cared about the club and we were passionate about it. And uh, to be relegated was really tough. Yeah, I bet it was. Well, I think I, I think I cried as well. I was a young young supporter at the time. Yeah, uh, but that we'd never been at that law law before, had we? No, uh, it was it was a it was, yeah, it was a tough time. Yeah, and then more players went. Um, um, Brian Julie left and went to Wigan, so, and then you went to Alkington Rovers. How did that come about? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because <laughs> I wasn't aware of it at the time. I wasn't aware that the club was talking to Alkington. And again, you can probably go back to the stats, statistics, but I, I got the man of the match against Hull Kingston probably three or four games out. I was just starting to get back in my stride after the injury. And you I got did, man yeah. of the match that day. And um, so I, I obviously made a mark or left an impression with the Hull KR directors and coach Roger Millward. And I can remember, I think John Scaife was the chairman. and he, he, I went to do a presentation at Criggleston All Blacks um, and then 
he asked me if I'd got half an hour, like I spoke to him in the car, his, his, his car afterwards. And he made it really sort of clear to me that maybe the club had to sell me. And um, I, was a, I was a saleable asset and the club needed to put some money back. And we went through a bit of a facade, really, where it looked like they wanted me to stay and went down the lines of what will it take us to keep you? But there were no intention to keep me because they'd agreed to deal with all KR. Yeah, and it was big money, £60,000, if I remember, the world record for a forward. Did that hang on? Yeah, cash only, I think. I never <laughs> saw any of it, but yeah, it was cash only for the club. And, you know, in some respects, indirectly, it, it was important that I left. I, I didn't feel it at the time. I signed for All Kingston Rovers, agreed everything with All Kingston Rovers, and then worked out I didn't even have a car. So, <laughs> you know, I was still travelling on the bus. I used to get picked up by the supporters bus from coming from like Middlestown and Netherton at that time, they used to come along Albury Road and if I was still at the bus stop, they'd pick me up and take me to the game. Uh, so I didn't have a car, I had to go to the auctions and bought myself my first real car, which was a, a two-litre Capri, bottle oh, green, wow. with Valor seats, <laughs> you know, like, oh <laughs> my God, he, he had a radio in it and things like that, you know, it was, it was really weird. And I signed yeah. for a club with no car. Yeah. And 1982, Old Kingston Rovers, by the were aside, weren't they? So you must have been chuffed as punch to go there. I'm just looking at some of the players. When you went, there was people like George Fairburn, Steve Hartley, Gary Prome, Mike Smith, in the forwards, Len Casey, Phil Hogan, Roy Holstock, Phil Lodge. It goes on and on and on. You yeah. stepped into that side, you must have thought, by golly, what a team. Uh, it were, uh, there were two reasons. One, because obviously the, you just had to look at that, that team and want to be part of it. And Phil Lodge. Um, was a was was a hero of mine. I were a back row forward, and what better example of a back row forward was there at that time? You got Neil Fox, who I knew and obviously watched, and you'd also got Phil Lowe, um, two of the best. And you know, it, it, so to be in in that same dressing room with people that you idolised was was one one really sort of big thing for signing. The other one was. They were one of the most aggressive teams you were ever going to play against. So Holstock, Millington, Dave Watkinson, Len Casey, Paul Rose. They didn't mind giving you a crack round lug and round nose and in the mouth. So why, why not join them? Well, why you were always a lover, not a fighter, weren't you? So I, I thought when you went to that Rovers pack, how are you going to fit in there? Yeah, I always felt that there were plenty of people there to thump people so I could play my own game and exactly. do my own thing. Probably the biggest... The biggest anchor for me at Old Kingston Rovers at that time was the, the perception that I was there to replace Phil Lowe. And I was never Phil Lowe. I was my own player. And the, the price tag was a bit of a... I didn't create the... You know, you get lots of players in lots of sports say, I don't create the price. and But you do have to carry that with you. Yeah. You, you won the championship in your second season. So that was, you know, top of the league. We, we, we did back-to-back -back championships. You so, did. you know, and that's something I always look back on with a great deal of pride, though, a part of uh, a group of players that not, not won a championship once, but repeated the same feat the year after. It had only been done by Bradford, I think, prior to that. So, yeah, yeah it was, it was, it, but Wilkinson Rovers was a very, very, you know, people said to me I shouldn't have left Wakefield at that age. Well, I think what they don't factor in, I didn't really have much choice, but Having made the decision, I joined Roger Millward as he assembled. The, the, the chemistry of the team 
was so important to us at the time. And I can remember he flogged us. We ran everywhere and he'd be, you know, in them days, he'd be following you on a push bike or a, and he'd have a cig in his gob and he'd be shouting at you, you know. And he, he went over to America to watch the Chicago Bears train and bring some of their methods back. And he was a good coach, Roger, a very astute coach. And he put together a team and we, we barely saw a ball in the pre-season. And when questioned, I think Mike Smith and Dave Hall and people like that questioned him and he went, if we're fit enough and we can defend, the talent is here to win trophies. And he was right. He was. You know, John Dory came in from Australia. Um, Gavin Miller came over from Australia. Mark Broadhurst from New Zealand. Gary Prome. Gary Prome finished second to Ellie Ranley. He scored 47 tries in the season and finished second to Ellie Ranley. He might have even been more than 47, I'm not sure. But, you know, Gordon Smith, another Kiwi international. We had some great signings at OKR that, but the chemistry of everybody worked so well. Johnny Thompson came up with a story many years ago that made me smile. I, I always wanted to ask you, is that when you played Old Kingston Rovers at Craven Park, <clears throat> if you had the ball in the first 10 minutes, you, you always dropped it, give it to the opposition, and then knock seven bells out of them for 10 minutes. Is that true or is that a Johnny story? I think I think things like that used to infuriate me. I, I, I'm, I'm quite a mild person, um, but I've got a crossover temper and I, I get frustrated with myself. I, you know, like in every walk of life, I can remember once telling my wife, Helen, uh, that I would fit the lino in the toilet. We've got a small downstairs toilet. So I said, I can do that myself. And I ended up tearing up three pieces just because <laughs> I was frustrated. I couldn't do it and ended up then paying somebody to do it. So... Things like that would annoy me, and and I guess that's what motivated me. The the sort of if I let my, if I felt like I'd let myself down, then I'd let the team down, and then that would that would anger me. They're the things somebody smacking me wouldn't really, you know. You can go back and see retribution, but I, I really felt most annoyed when I felt like I'd let other people down. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned it in the intro that you played every available cup final when you were at Rovers. Do any stand out? Any of the cup finals? The Challenge Cup final, yeah, it has to stand out. Yeah, of course. Just unbelievable. We, we played Leeds in the semi-final. Uh, I was subbing, actually, and uh, Chris Burton was the starting second rower. And we drew 24-all. Paul Harkin got sent off that day. Um, I think by the grace of no TV replays, David Law scored a try that you'd have been proud of if you were bouncing the ball up a basketball court. Uh, court. But... <laughs> He certainly, he certainly got given on the day and there were no way of, of actually saying it wasn't a try. But we went out of the semi-final at 24 all. but Chris Burton broke his arm that day. Right. So I played in the replay and I always remember I scored a try at the Gelded End. It, made, it went from 11 nil to 17 nil. but I scored a try at the, the cop end, sorry. And... Um, yeah, because I'm a Leeds United supporter as well. So to score, I always remember the try because I scored at the Gelman end. And uh, yeah, it all sticks with me. But the, the Challenge Cup final was just, just what an occasion. Disappointing, we lost 15-14 to Castleford mm. on the day. But um, I'll never, I'm not one of these people that looks at his uh, loser's medal and, and wants to throw it in the back of a drawer. I'm proud of it. You know, Gre Jeff Gration played in that semi-final for Leeds and it was his last opportunity. The length of career he had and the level of rugby league he played at, he never got to play in a Challenge Cup final. So why would I disrespect 
him, him and his desire to play in the Challenge Cup final by not valuing having played in one, even though it was a, a losing game. So I remember, I remember walking up and, and walking up the old tunnel area. It was on a slope at that time, so the people at the far end always saw you first, and uh, the the, caco- the cacophony of noise that surrounded it was just it, it were enough to scare you, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, but what a fantastic occasion! I'm going to, you, you, you said at the beginning your, your your memory fades a little bit. Do you remember your Rovers team? That Rovers team has changed gradually from that powerful pack you signed into. Do you remember the Wembley team? Yeah, near enough. There's some good young lads in there. You know, I consider myself at that time as being fairly young. But um, so when I've been 26, Des Harrison, Zukema, Pete Johnson, Dave Watkinson. Um, Gordon Smith was on the bench Gavin Miller played John Doherty, Mike Smith Ian Robinson Gary Prome uh, David Laws, Gary Clark and the full back would have been George Spot on, yeah yeah, yeah. exactly. John Lydiot, the other sub John Lydiot came off the bench and yeah. Uh, yeah, he came off the bench with, let me try and think who would have been on the bench at that time you mentioned it already, Gordon, Gordon Smith, you mentioned it. Yeah, Gordon Smith, John Lydia. Um... Paul Arkin started at Scrum Half and Gordon Smith came off the bench. Yeah, the, I, I actually went off. I think when, when Gordon came on, I think I went off. I think I was, so they replaced me with a Scrum Half. Now, I can remember having the lip out a little bit because in them days you weren't going back on, so you didn't no. get a chance to go back on. And Gavin Miller had done the, pre, the pre-game stuff with the hamstring injury. And his, his running was really inhibited because of that injury. Uh, and I felt by putting Gordon on, they were putting a, a creator onto the field and should have kept the runner out there. But that's, you know, I, I was a player. I can remember having a, a little bit of a soul, but not too much. <laughs> um, there was another final that year. Um, hang on a minute. Was it John Player? Played John Player at Wigan, against Wigan? You played in that one at Ellen Road again? Yeah, um, I think did we lose that one? You did. You lost eleven eight. Eleven eight. Yeah, I, I I remember it quite well to be honest. By the nature of that, we lost, and Wigan were in the ascendancy at that time. Wigan was starting to become a, a little bit of an entity on our horizon. We, were, we saw them as I think Halifax were doing quite well in in those periods of time, but Wigan was starting to come up on starting to plan. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I think, hang on a minute, what was the other? The other question was, go on, sorry. The Premiership final was my, my worst day when St. Helens posted a record score. They absolutely oh, yeah. won with us. And Mal Meninga played in that game. I remember he took John Lydia. John Lydia, he hit John Lydia on the pass. So as John Lydia passed the ball to his winger, um, Mal Meninga cleaned him out. And I can remember running in and actually smacking Mal Meninga. And he didn't move, so I chose somebody else. <laughs> To fight within the melee, we just left him alone. Uh, you, you prop that day was Mark Broadhurst. I remember him being, him being a tough cookie. Yeah, yeah, he was. He's, you know, I think you still find on YouTube now when we played against Queensland. <coughs> got their hooker with a, a right, a right hook, and I, 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 I'm almost certain it was Whitfield was the referee, and uh, he turned his back to the Queensland team and was smirking, like laughing. I think he thought he just handed out a bit of. Uh, rightful justice that he couldn't. He never sent him off. Now, obviously, <laughs> what now you'd be off the field for, for, for yeah. some time. 
you've 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 uh, mentioned a couple of these. From my memory as a junior, I used to watch all sorts of rugby as well as Trinity. So there are a couple of few Hull Kingston Rovers matches that stood out. You've mentioned um, the semi final against Leeds, uh, the twenty four all draw, and then the seventeen nil. You mentioned the Queensland game. The other one I mentioned was going to ask you about was Australia in eighty two, which you played yeah. in. Welcome Meninga, Kenny and Sterling. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I remember that vividly. It, was, it came quite early in my tenure at uh, OKI. It's probably the even maybe second or third game in when the tourists uh, came over. Um, I remember training for it the week before and we had some... Dave Watkinson insisted that we have a, a six-man push and I'll tell you, <laughs> you'd probably work out why we needed a six-man push to try and get their hooker on the floor so we could all roll over him like some kind of a, a cheap tank, but um, yeah, they were good. We, I, I thought we gave them a, we gave a good account of, of ourselves. We were three sent off that day, and uh, that was uh, Rod Reddy, Les Boyd, and Dave Watkinson. I think you could have predicted them before the game that they'd be the three. Um, and we held his own for quite a, a while, but then Malmeninga, Steve Hubbard, uh, not Steve Hubbard, um, halfback. God, his name's just gone out of my bloody head. Steve Hartley scored an absolutely fantastic try against the Australians. And um, then Malmeninga bettered him. I think Malmeninga beat the 13 on the field, went back, beat us again and, and still scored. So <laughs> he, he announced himself on the big stage on that day. Good stuff. This is a Trinity Hour podcast, so I don't want to sort of ramble on about all kicks and rovers too much. But I've got to ask this one last question. That drop goal. <laughs> yeah, it's probably... For all my years there, I'd say scored a lot of tries over at OKR. Probably, you know, my best season try scoring was around 16 or 17 tries. It was the year Gary Prom did ever so well. Um, but the drop goal was a funny one against Wigan. I'd scored a try off Paul Arkin, honestly. He, he was the architect of so many good things, Paul, as a scrum half. And he had one of those where the scrum half near the post did the double pump as if it was going to go long pulled it in as if it was going short, and then he flicked it under his armpit to me on the inside, and I went under the post untouched. So we were tied at 18 all. We'd had a drop goal attempt charged down. So I, I was stood there just to cart the ball up, and they passed it to me to cart it up. Now, just one of those moments. He just You could call it a rush of blood or whatever, but I let fly with the big Adidas cappers and it landed in the Humber somewhere. It was it was just always going over from the moment it left me foot. Probably because I didn't... If I'd have had to think about it, it'd have probably hit a corner flag or something like that. But because it was so instinctive, it, it just carried. And, uh, yeah, it went over. It was, uh, it, was a long, it was a long way out as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 40 yards, apparently, you were... Forty, I, he was nearer the. I'm sure I were inside my own twenty. It gets longer, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So we're on to 1987. Um, you only played um, three games that season, and then you seem to have a, a step out and then came back to Trinity in January. What? Why did you only play three games? Why did you have three months off? And how did the move to Trinity come back again? I think uh, I think I only played three games because I was. Um, we weren't seeing eye to eye at the time, and it was around the time where. Probably there was a little bit more money coming into the game. My contracts with them was up. And I thought what they offered me was um, a derisory amount, to be honest with you, in terms of, you know, you've still got to fill your car up with petrol. There's still depreciation on the value of your car. So at that time, we probably weren't seeing quite eye to eye. And um, 
I want to say that I'd had an injury and I think I'd had an, um, a knee injury, but I might not have and just not seen eye to eye. Yeah. So mm. Then Stuart Farrer came to see me and uh, wanted to talk about me coming back to Wakefield. And when we made that happen, Dave Topless was really keen on bringing me back to the club. He felt that I would assist with the, the, the I think that was a promotion year, wasn't it? He was. Um, and he, I think he felt that I would assist with with the side and my experience would lend to them getting back up into the big division. So I was happy to come back. I, I got, I think it was, I think the time was right for me to leave Hull and yeah. uh, I was happy to come back to my hometown club. We were in the second division at the time, did it not bother you? No, not at all. Um, I believed in what David told me in the conversations I had with David Topless. I believed in the quality of players that he was putting around. There were some people that still there that I knew and he brought some players back to the club. I think one of the twinnies had come back to the club, one of the yeah. rain twins. Uh, Kevin, would it be? Keith, Kevin? Keith, one of them. Keith, it could have been either, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so I believed in what David was telling me and uh, him and Stuart were convincing. So I had no issue. Both my kids, you know, Robert was born in 86 and Faye was born in 87, so both my kids were little as well at that time, mm -hmm. so I, I feel it was probably right for me to come back closer to home. Did you always live in Wakefield, or did you ever move to Hull? I never moved. I've never moved. I, yeah. The furthest I've been is Thornhill, which, you know, you might argue with, that, with the Wakefield <laughs> postcode in too far away. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, I've never moved away from Wakefield. And being in Hull, Hull's quite, um, as we know, it's parochial, it's fervent. Um, so it was nice when I played over in Hull. It was nice to be able to come back. I used to come back to Wakefield Arms and probably have a pint with Johnny and some of the people that I kept in touch with from Wakefield. Yeah. So it was nice to come away from Hull and, and be able to go. I, I think we used to go to Sloan's and have our tea, um, Sloan's restaurant, and then probably have a couple of beers somewhere with people I knew. Very good. Uh, we didn't we didn't have a, a bad side in that era. We were we were top of the league for a while and then we blew it near the end. But you've already mentioned, you know, we, we've got in the pack we have Keith Rain, Johnny Thompson still there, Billy Conway, um, Big Dougie, Ian Douglas, Ian Sheldon at loose forward, Paul Malinder. We had a nuggety forward line for you slotted into that quite well. Yeah, do you know what? And again, I'll probably get hammered next time I go for a beer, but we, we didn't have a load of I don't think we had a load of outwardly what you'd say, top-class players. Do you know, like, mm. if you want to talk world-class, we didn't have a whole load of world-class players, but do you know what we had? We had a real sense of togetherness and we had a real sense of hard work. So, you, you know, some of the names you just mentioned, Ian Douglas, tough, could play the game, Ian, was a good player. Yeah. Um, Sheldon, great loose forward, you know, rugby league, smelled a rugby league. Um, and And... In the vein of the loose forwards of those days, he, he not only could do the hard work, but he could play as well. Johnny Thompson, nobody, I don't need to tell anybody about Johnny Thompson. He's, he's one of my, um, if you like, he's one of my heroes as well, Johnny. Having played alongside him and, and understanding his value, I have a funny story about Johnny, but yeah, I think probably everybody has. <laughs> Good stuff. And even the halfbacks, if I had to pick my all-time best halfbacks, these two would probably be in it. Mark Conway and Nigel Bell. Yeah, yeah. And Belly, I mean, he finished it loose forward, did he? But again, Belly was, um, it was an enigma, really, because 
there are very few players that can live the life that Nigel lived at times and turn up next day and get man at match, play 80 yeah. minutes and, and not only be respected by his own team, but the opposition. Nigel Nigel was that player. Um, and, and Mark Conway, again, he brought class and finesse. You know, he brought polish. You, you got people like Andy Mason and Andy Wilson and to not bring them into the game would have been foolish. Uh, and Mark Conway was a great link, good player. Mm, great, good times, good season that season. And then that we we were top of the league, and then the wheels fell off again. In the last four five games, we lost four. We lost at Bramley, we lost at York, we lost at Barrow, and then we ended up being third. And I remember thinking we were going to get a bit of uh, silverware, and we lost to Featherstone in the playoff semi final, um, but we still got promoted. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I guess the whole season was around being promoted, um, and I guess sometimes. The mentality of a team is governed by the limits it sets itself. And if promotion was our goal, then having achieved it, we probably fell short of what we were actually capable of. And I've seen that both as a coach and a player. Um, and, and I've once saw it, witnessed it at Huddersfield, the club I'm working at now, when they first made the playoffs and they played Catalan at home. And I was doing some punditry for Radio Leeds. And I can remember saying after about eight minutes, Huddersfield are not here, they've gone. Mentally, they're not in the game. They're never going to win today. And they didn't, they got, beat, they got well beat. And I think insight now tells me that their goal was to make the playoffs. And once they made the playoffs, that was the end of the season. I think I saw it once we Wakefield when they first made the playoffs in Super League. And uh, they went over to Wigan and, and got well beat, didn't they? Yeah. And, and I think that's probably... A mental collapse, mental fatigue, mental tiredness. You work hard to get to reach your goals, but if you know what, anything's possible. But if you don't, if you don't believe that, and you set your sights a little bit lower, then I guess that's where you come unstuck. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we got promoted, and then we seemed to go up a level. We signed Steve Ella and Mark Graham, uh, and we had a great start in 1988. We beat Warrington, we beat Wigan, we went to Hull. That super try you got when we got the winner, we were top of the league again. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, interception try. It's funny. You know, that I think that was the year as well when uh, Johnny T packed down against Adam Fogarty. I, I think he was at St. Helens. Adam Fogarty, who became an actor, yeah, uh, ex-boxer, ex heavyweight boxer, became an actor and played for St. Helens. And he was on Coronation Street, and Adam Fogarty. <laughs> and he was... Um, he was... An, it was almost an extra, but he had a speaking part. So you saw this big fist knocking on this door, and it was Jack Duckworth's door. And Jack, uh, Jack Duckworth answers the phone, and Adam Fogarty says to him, you Jack Duckworth? And he says, yeah, and he just knocks him out. You see the big fist and knocks him out. So we packed down against St. Ellen's, and I just heard Johnny go, hey, Foggy, this is from Jack Duckworth, and he let one go in the scrum at Fogarty. So it's probably one of the funniest lines I've ever heard on the field. But then I think Adam Fogarty then battered him. So, yeah. But the that season, the, the try I scored against Hull, I mean, come from Old Kingston Rovers, I, uh, Steve Eller in that game scored one of the tries that I remember most in my whole career because it was like, have you ever seen the film Click? Uh, I have not, no. The film Click is is basically, as the remote control, but it, cre it controls with the remote control every facet around him so he can stop and speed up. You imagine like you would with a... Yeah. Steve Eller that day got a ball, and I believe around his own 20, 
scored down the right hand side of the field, but I felt that he controlled every facet of the gate of the, the field. It was like he was a master chess player mm. and knew what everybody was going to do before they, they did it. And he just scored this wonderful try that got us back in the game. And then um, the, the back end of the game, they tried to play out of their own 20. Was it Pierce, the Welsh? Yes, he was. Yeah. And he played a pass out. And I think he was trying to find Lee Crooks and get Lee Crooks away. But I stepped onto the ball and scored under the post. <laughs> and Phil Fox, the winger of the day, encouraged me to go to the old threatening stand, which you'll know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and then as I stood on the touchline for the kickoff, and I was getting pelted. I thought, I'm going to be the first person off this field. I had sticking around. I was <laughs> in the room before the final echoes of the referee's whistle. But yeah, we, we had a good win that day. But I, I scored the winning try. But the most memorable moment for me was the wonderful Zip Zip man, Steve Ella. Fantastic try. It was. I, I remember it myself because I was on the bench. I was the physio that day. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't even remember. My dad was the photographer back in. Those yeah, days. yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And, he, and he's got a full set of, of his of his. I've got a full set of Steve Ellis try from the way from the halfway line all the way down. And he he, he, he side stepped the full back. He must have side stepped the full back three times. Yeah, yeah. And he's got young Julian Russell on his outside, and he'd done it to Julian Russell three times. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the greatest tries I've seen in a, in a Wakefield shirt as well. I can I, I can remember being as mesmerised by that as the opposition were. Yeah, you know, it was just a wonderful try. But wasn't Steve Eller a wonderful player anyway? He sort of kept, it was a shame because Mark Graham went home at Christmas. Brent Todd went with him, but Steve Eller stayed with us. He went a really core of Wakefield people in that era. But Steve Eller took over as captain, and I thought he was a wonderful ambassador for us. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was a true professional. I, I, I'm sure there were times in the winter where they all wanted to go home and, and if I, I had a good relationship with Mark Graham and I was were, I were really looking forward to playing alongside him because he was a type of loose forward that, that you know as Bill Ashurst was for me the kind of loose forward that they're almost like you know halfbacks trapped in forwards bodies were they the way they played yeah. Uh, but he got a really bad, almost pneumonia-type cold before Christmas, and I think that were enough for him. I think he thought he needed to go back home to the warm. What Mark Graham did? Yeah, he did. He was really ill around Christmas time. And oh. um, uh, I, I recall, he, you know, he weren't around, whether he was homesick as well, which which heightened his uh, the depth of his sort of um, longing to go home. But, yeah, he went home. He didn't stay the season out with us. Mm. But I do recall him being ill. I've got a wonderful photo of you two in the changing rooms after a game. Again, one of my dads, you both had cigarettes in your hand. So yeah. we won't... Uh, Don't we'll, tell your mother that. For I've got to say, nobody, nobody's listening, so we won't He's tell you lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, unfortunately, Steve Ella got injured and he had to go home as well. And, and yeah. I'm sure this is a season where we could have, we nearly went down again and we needed yeah. to win about one... Two, I think we needed to win six of our last eight, and we did. Yeah, and we would we we nickname the team that would not die. Yeah, I went, was one of those at Featherstone. I think Johnny Thompson had a rip-roaring game at Featherstone towards the back end of one season. But I, I might be wrong. It might be the wrong season. But Well, Featherstone was at Christmas. That was when Mark Graham and Brent Todd went yeah. home. And it was, it, was, it was Christmas and we used to play Christmas and box, um, New Year's Day. Yeah. And when we went to Featherstone on New Year's Day, we were virtually packed with um, Wakefield Bomb players. We had yourself, Mark Conway, Paul Malander, Billy Conway, Johnny Thompson, Gary Price, Nigel Bell, Richard Slater. The list goes on. We had a yeah. con and we didn't have put a performance on. And then Steve Eller and James Lowlight were the only, only non 
West Yorkshire people in that side. And again, so that two that game. players we spoke about, Steve Ellaby. You know, again, James Lula, you can't speak highly enough about somebody like James. Lived at Newton Hill at the time, and uh, obviously Thomas, is, his lad, was just a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah, just another fantastic player. But you've got the likes of Gary Price and Mark Conway and, and players like that coming into the side. Gary would have only been fairly young at that point. Um, another player who, to this day, I still have a great relationship. I was best man at Gary's wedding. And oh, yeah. uh, still have a great re- relationship with Gary. And uh, although he's a Man United fan and made me have it last night. Um, yeah, so generally, I, I thought... I thought that side echoed everything we know. And, and you've been around as much as I have around Wakefield. It, it echoed everything we know about Wakefield and what Wakefield is. Um, and to, the, the core of the side from Wakefield was a, was a really important factor. Mm. I, remember, I remember when we went to Wigan um, one, one week and I remember sitting on the bus as a young physio. And we had, I remember looking around the bus and we had Mark Graham, we had Steve Eller, we had James Lowey, and then we signed Knocker Norton. Yeah, Knocker coming and Knocker was there. I'm thinking, I'm I'm, I'm out of my league here. What am I yeah. doing with with these? So when Knocker came, it was like because like Topo brought Blue Light and Knocker because he played with them at Hull. Yeah, I remember Knocker like coming into the dressing room with a long grey coat on, like a tweed trench coat on. Uh, one of his first times at Bellevue when he came into the dressing room and almost like a spit from the war. He, he opened his coat up and he went, does anybody want to buy a fish? And he had a full addict in the inside of his coat. And this, like, this is in the dressing room before the game. So he's like, okay, this bloke's probably mad. Um, but what a player. Again, some reputation knocker, you know, probably a little bit Nigel Bell, one of the very few people who could live a lifestyle that he, li- he lived, but actually looked after himself as well. You know, Nigel couldn't have done the things he did if he wasn't fit. And Knocker was the same. He was an extremely fit and professional mm. person who maybe wasn't quite as professional off the field. But, you know, what a fantastic player. We're privileged to have him in the team. Just like you said, some of the players, we would have looked at him and, and thought, wow, what a signing. And he was a good signing. He was a great player, Knocker. Absolutely, yeah. I also remember this year, um, you were injured. You hurt your knee and you were in, you were in a plaster for a long time. Um, and I remember you getting fed up and you were hobbling around on crutches and you went out and out with training and you were part of the coaching team, whether you were there officially or not. Was this the start of your coaching interest or was it always been there? Because I, I remember you bringing on the kids at the time when you were on crutches. I think you've got to you've got to have an interest in the game to want to coach, first and foremost. So my love for the game is, it was probably the start of my um, philosophy in a lot of respects my my philosophy when people say to me why did you coach and I always coach because you, you've you've talked about my success at Old Kingston Rovers I played in Australia I played for England Yorkshire played in every cup final didn't win them all but I've always wanted somebody else to experience that I've always wanted a player to have a taste of what I'd had a taste of and that was the driving factor in in everything I did as a coach that I would share some of the joys of playing the game. It's not all bloody noses and, and, and bad days. There's some great days. And if you can pass that on and somebody else experience it, I, thought, I always thought that's what I should do. And, and I guess that was the beginnings of that philosophy being formed. Very good, yeah. Uh, follow, following season, I always regarded this as one of your best ever seasons. Mainly, you didn't miss a game. You played, you were ever present all the way through. But you played along, alongside Ray Price. Did he make a difference? 
Yeah, he did. Ray Price for a different, different again. We played Lee away in one of the first games. And again, you might statistically be able to back me up on that, but we played Lee away at the old Hilton Park, where it, Lee was a tough place to go. Probably still is as tough and as aggressive, but it was a tough place to go. And Ray Price played that night. And it was a freezing, cold, wet night. I remember us in the shower afterwards and Johnny Thompson saying to uh, Ray Price, are you having a drink, Ray? We'd won. And uh, he said um, to Ray Price in the showers at Elm Park, are we having a drink, Ray, uh, when we go in bar? And Ray Price said, I'll have a drink when we win some. And Johnny said to him, you'll be thirsty when you go home. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I do. Yeah, that, that, well, was, that, that was just got Johnny's quick tongue-in-cheek <laughs> humour, but... Yeah. Ray Price, I also remember playing at St. Helens and uh, Ray Price, remember he dislocated his finger, snapped his finger, so it was oh. hanging off. <laughs> and then I split. I'd been stood on during the first half and when I took the sock down at half time, it needed stitching. So I went to the treatment room. I think we still only had two subs at that time. And um, I went to the treatment room and Ray Price is sort of saying to me, what are you doing here? I went, oh, split back of me. So he jumped off the table with his finger hanging off and was basically strapping up, I'm going back on. I went, no, 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 I'm just getting stitched. I'm going back on. But he was going to go back on with half his finger hanging off. But that was him. You know, that's this 36, 37-year-old bloke who came out of retirement because Topo had convinced him he'd be good for us. And he was. He was very good for us, you know. And you look at the career Richard Slater had, he was probably very influenced by Ray Price. Gary Price as well. Gary Price was in the yeah. second row with you when yeah. he, he got picked yeah. for Great Britain on the back of playing alongside Ray Price. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I remember that story about his finger because, again, I was a physio that day. Yeah. And a tackle before, he got hit in his stomach and I ran on and he, he just winded and I came off again. And the next tackle, he went down again and I ambled on again. I think, oh, what's up with him now? And I got to his finger and his finger, like you just said, it was hanging off. It was sticking yeah. to the bone. There were tendons and muscles <laughs> sticking out. And I think, crikey, O'Reilly. And back in the day, you tried to put him back in. Not yeah. But the amazing no. thing is, he played the week after. Yeah, he, he, would, have played second, he would have played the second half that day almost yeah. immediately um, yeah. because he thought that we were a man down because I were getting stitched. I know, I know. Unbelievable. Um, follow, following season, uh, oh, um, David Topley's made you captain. That must have been proud. Captain in your oh, club. A real, a real, a real accolade, a real honour. And anybody who's actually taken that that honour on and, and accepted it would understand what I'm saying. Um, it, it was just a fantastic thing for Dave to do and something that I felt very honoured to take on. It were, we played Australia that year and I remember I remember that I was very, again, proud. I was very proud, a Wakefield person, captain in his own town club. And I'm always respectful of the people that have gone before you that have done the same job. Mm -hmm. we, went, we got to a cup final that year. We didn't win, but I remember you leading us out at Elland Road again. Yeah, well, you're there the moments you live for, are they? You know, I talk about sharing experiences I'd had, but this was a new experience for me. And, and to be stood at the front of the team as you walk out, it's, there's, there's just, it's difficult to describe how that feels because you are bursting with pride. And, but there's a, there's a great responsibility, you know, with, that comes with it. So, yeah, it was, it was a great moment. And like you said, we didn't win. We got beat by Castle, I believe. That's right, Castle did, yeah. Castle were a bit of a nemesis for me, obviously. But, <laughs> and yeah, it, it was a tremendous moment. And, 
you know, four Wakefield to start getting back into the realms of walking out in cup finals was massive. I think it was the big thing. We haven't been in many, had we? So no, even no. Though you, you said earlier, yeah, we lost, but the fact that we got there, what a proud moment. I think it was 12, well, not 12. We, we, haven't, we haven't won a trophy for 12 years. Yeah. We, haven't been in a, we haven't been in a final for um, a long time as well. Yeah. So that was, it was like the first final I'd ever, I'd ever been involved with. So yeah, we lost, but proud day. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a proud day. And it, again, it, it, it sort of um, underlined the fact that the gulf, the, gulf, the gulf of of cup final appearances and trophies, the gulf was massive, wasn't it? You know, mm. the, the shadows of the 60s loomed over every team for decades. And uh, I think people people probably felt pressure from that at times. But actually, I think what, what, what you learn to do is embrace that and want to be, you want to be the next person that casts a shadow. And we probably had an opportunity that, that day to try and create something. It didn't work out, but nevertheless, we got very close. Yeah, yeah. Um, over the next few years, um, obviously, in my heritage portfolio these days, there's a lot of pictures of you and me together as physio and, and player. So the injuries were catching up with you. Did you feel your body falling apart? Because you only played 16 games in the next two years. Yeah. Um, I think you're on, crutch, you're on crutches a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I, I picked up an ankle injury. I picked up a, the knee injury, was a big one. Um, yeah. I'm very fortunate, though, even now, we'll put it down to some good physios, eh? Um, <laughs> I'm very fortunate now that, you know, I still run, I still swim, I still cycle, I still feel like my body can go through some some challenges, which, um, you know, not all players come out of it like that. So I, I probably did understand my body. But, yeah, injuries, injuries always catch up. And the other thing that catches you up is pace. You start to slow down, so... Coaches start to examine you a little bit more. I, I had a difference of opinion with David, and uh, it's not it's not overly heralded, but we didn't see eye to eye towards the end, um, to the point where I had my contract cancelled at one point. But that was having done a favour for David, um, and it was the time where Mark Webster was coming through. So I'd moved from back row to front row. But we, Michael Jackson and Gary Price got injured in the pre-season, so David asked me to play in the second row. So what season would that be? That was 1992. Yeah, yeah, because it was the cup final season. It was. And um, I didn't play many games because pretty much I'd been sacked. Oh, yeah. Things. Um, and had to fight my way back a little bit with regards to the appeal. Um, mm. And basically what happened was David asked me to do a favour in the pre-season. I were a little bit heavy, a little bit slower, playing in the, the middle of the field. Started to move to prop, which, you know, I'd held off for quite some time. But then with the back rowers getting injured, David asked me to play in the back row. And I think my last game in the back row was against Halifax and Gary Devorty put a big right to left at the church end uh, of the ground. And, and I think we lost that game, but that was a pivotal moment. And I told David that I would get exposed at some point. And he dropped me from the team. And I thought, fairly hard done so, because I was doing that as a favour and felt that at some point I would get exposed for not being as quick and agile as I used to be. So he left me out of the team and basically asked me to go to Wigan with the reserve team two nights after. And I just went, I ain't going, I won't do it. I, I don't think it, it was, I didn't think it was fair and I needed some time to adjust to that. And so I, uh, I was basically told that I'd finished at the club. 
And uh, I, I went to the RFL and said, they can't, you know, you can't do that. There's a, there's a process and surely I can appeal against it. And on appeal, they allowed me to come back to the club. So I went back into training, but I reckon I would have got picked for the under-11s. <laughs> Such was the breakdown in relationship between me and David. I think David felt that I got a lot of... Um, bearing in mind, we've just been talking about me being captain at the club. Yeah. Um, I felt David thought that I had too much power in the dressing room and maybe didn't use it in the right way. Um, which, which to me, was a, a misconception on his part because I've never been a divisive player. I've never worked against coaches. Interesting, because uh, that was an area that, that was a story I didn't know. And I was just looking at, when I was researching the back end, there was a big headline in the New Wayfield Express that Andy Kelly dramatically retires. And I thought, I didn't know that. But then in the same report, he said you went on loan to Featherston. Did you? Yeah, you see, again, I didn't know I was going to get the sack. Yeah. And, and when I went back, I couldn't get picked. So I actually retired. I just went, what's the point? What is the point? And bear in mind, we used to work for a living in them days. Mm. So, you know, you went training on the night and I thought, what is the point to this? Why, why after the career I've had, am I letting myself be almost humiliated by the fact that I'm training twice, three times a week, but I can't even get picked for reserves. I didn't get picked for the reserve team. You know, and I, and I would argue if at that time, if you'd have allowed one overage player in the academy, he wouldn't have picked me in that either. <laughs> um, so I did, I retired, but no sooner did I retire then Steve Martin came to my house and said, look, I'd like you to come over to Featherston. So I didn't. I, I think David probably thought I'd constructed the retirement so I could go to Featherston. But I didn't know about Featherston's interest at that time. And I went on loan to Featherston and actually didn't play in the first team there. I played with the reserves and I was nearly, what would you be, 18th or 16th or 17th man at that time. I can't remember how many subs we had at that time. I would imagine he still had four subs and I was probably 18th man. But Steve Martin would have picked me because he, he wanted to buy me. And the crazy thing is, bear in mind, Wakefield sold me for 60 grand. I think they bought me back on the cheap. And then at the time where I could have done with a, a little bit of a, a, an assistance. So I think Featherson offered 3,000 for me and Wakefield wanted eight. <laughs> and I, I can remember saying to both clubs, just say five. Just both of you say five so I can carry on, but I think Wakefield were determined and believed that I'd constructed the retirement so I could go to Fed, which wasn't the truth. So mm -hmm. the move to Featherston never happened, and uh, I think I ended up going to Huddersfield on loan where Alex Murphy was the coach. I didn't know that either. Did you yeah, I, went to, I went to Huddersfield on loan uh, at the time where Again, a little bit like my return to Wakefield, they were in the division below, and Alex Murphy and um, Terry Flanagan were the coaches. I knew Terry from the England schoolboys in Barley okay. days. Yes. Um, and he was assistant to Alex Murphy, and Alex asked me to go and be the pilot of their ship and guide them back to the first division, uh, which I did. And, but I broke my arm there. I broke um, the, the siloid at the end of my arm. Yeah, in one of the games, uh, the first games at the old Leeds Road, the Leeds Road, because they were moving away from Fartown in that year. So we played at Leeds Road against Bramley. Keith Rain played actually, and uh, I broke my arm in that game. So did you play first team then at Huddersfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was on as a lone player because after just your stats, because I've got all your stats. Yeah, bit, I, know, I, I played career. about probably played about eight games on loan at Huddersfield. Did you really? Oh. Yeah. 
I'll add those in later on because I didn't, I didn't know that. Come on, they'll be in the, I might even start a try here. You never know. <laughs> and then just to, just to round off Trinity, you seem to be come back. Did you come back as coach? Because I've no, I've noticed you then playing in the A team in '94 and '95. Yeah, well, when David went and Nobby and uh, Dave Obst took over, and that's when I came back. I went back and. It was really funny because I went back to be involved in the game and play reserves. I, I, I really know I would have liked to have played first team. And uh, again, I think statistics will hold me up on this. Ian Marlowe got injured and we were supposed to play Castleford on Boxing Day. And obviously asked me to play in that game and it got frosted off. Ah, yes, yes. And they were going to play it the day after and it was still frosted off because frost was in for time and the actual next opportunity I would have had to play would have been working to New Way on New Year's Day on <laughs> New and uh, obviously said look Ian Marlowe's fit but you can come up as like reserve to travel I went I'm too old to travel on <laughs> and they took Wayne Flynn I oh, said, yeah. take one of young kids I'm not going up to Workington yeah. if I'm not actually playing and they took Wayne Flynn Brilliant, good stuff. Well, that's your sort of playing career done. Um, well, your Trinity playing career. I just want to add something else in before we sort of wind down. Tell me about Australia when you went to Illawarra Steelers in '84. How did that yeah, go? Yeah, that uh, without sounding like I, I over I overplay my position in the in the ranks of all time greats. If you like, I don't. But I thought I'd play for Great Britain that year. I thought I had a real chance of playing for Great Britain, and it was the seat I'd scored. I'd scored a number of tries, we'd had a good year at Hull KR and I thought I was really in the running for a spot on the Great Britain um, squad to tour Australia in 1984. Um, but Wayne, Pro uh, Wayne Proctor, a player from Hull, went um, instead of me. And do I think that was right to this day? Probably not, but that's <laughs> because I didn't go. So John Dorohy was... Um, a friend of mine, uh, and I played with him at Wilkinston Rovers, and he was from Illawarra, and they wanted a, a, a forward. So I, I did a deal. Brian Smith was the coach at the time. And I, I did a deal with Illawarra to go in between seasons. So I went over there for near enough four months uh, in 1984. And again, research, you, you played you, you played a hell of a lot. You played a lot of reserve grade, but you played one, one first grade game at Cronulla. At Cronulla, yeah. That's right. Where did you get that from? Oh, I've got, I've got, I've got all sorts of it. I wish I know because I didn't appear in their 25 yearbook and it really teased me off because I didn't play. Well, somebody, didn't... Somebody's got the stats. There's some there's some people say you didn't play, but I've sort of looked into it and you did. You played at Cronulla, you came off the bench um, and you won 24-8. So there's some, there's some <laughs> records say you never played in the NRL, but I've done my magic and found you did. Yeah, well, you can send that to me after we finish. But uh, yeah, yeah I play. Um, and... I had, a, I had a great time there and I enjoyed the football. It was a totally different game to the one I played in England. It took me too long to adjust. And actually, I played at Cronulla and then I was ill for um, a period of weeks after that. And I was getting close to the time where I would have been coming back over here. So, although I worked really hard to get a first grade start, a first grade appearance, um, I was ill. I got uh, quinzes, you know, like throat ulcers and mouth oh, yeah. ulcers. Yeah. And I was quite ill, actually. Um, and it just put me back too far to have another tilt at getting back in the team. But it was funny that Rod Reddy, who I'd played against in 82, was the captain. And well, he was at the club, he wasn't the captain. Michael Bolter was the captain. 
but Rod Rennie was there, and Greg Mackey, who I became really good friends with. Yeah, there was those are two names that jumped out at me: Rod Reddy, Greg Mackey, John Dorohy at uh, fullback. Yeah. Not many others I know. I've heard of Jeff Selby. Yeah, Jeff Selby. Unfortunately, Jeff was a a really promising player who, while in the time I was there, had signed for St George, and uh, he actually died in a car crash on his way back. So he, he was very young, making his way in the game, and died in a car crash oh, wow. uh, on the way back to Wollongong. Yeah. Uh, and then just 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 to round off your playing career, um, you, you played for England. That must have been proud. Yeah, immensely. That was after I came back from Illawarra, and um, the tour had obviously came back. It was really funny with the tour because Brian Noble was the tour captain, and they had a, quite a lot of injuries. And I was actually playing fit in Australia, and they wouldn't call me up. Uh-huh. And Brian Noble told me in the years that followed. He said, we kept saying to him, Andy Kelly's down at Wollongong, why don't we call him in? And and Frank Myler refused to call me, and I think that was just to justify the fact that I'd been left out, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the reasons were. I have a suspicion it was just a justification thing in their own mind. But when I came back, I got selected for England to play against uh, Wales down in Ebervale. Vale. Um, yeah, not the most salubrious surroundings for your England <laughs> debut, and... Uh, but it was good. Zingle Company, you know, a lot of the tour, the lads who had been on tour, again, Ellery Hamley and people like that were involved in that team and it, it was a great occasion. But they, because of the crossover from a Great Britain tour to playing an England game, it probably got lost a little bit, you know, in, in, in its mantle. So I actually played for Yorkshire in 1986 and, and that felt like a much bigger occasion. But, and I'll tell you why, because Peter Fox was in charge. And it made you feel like it was the most important thing you'd ever done in your life. So playing for Yorkshire was a far bigger occasion for me than than playing for England. Was I proud to play for England? Of course I was. Was it an honour to play for England? Of course it was. But the country of Yorkshire, when they call you, that's a big occasion. Well, yeah, I'm just looking at I've got the team lined up here again. It was like a couple of years after your England match was the Yorkshire game. We're talking 86. Yeah. Uh, Headingly, um, you were propping you, you the front row were you, Brian Noble and David Hobbs. Yeah, and I was playing, I was still playing back row in them days, and uh, I think Kevin Ward was injured, and and maybe even Lee Crooks was probably the first choice to go in at the prop position, mm-hmm. and he was injured. So Peter Fox rang me a uh, phone call at home, and he basically said, "Look, uh, I want you to come and play for Yorkshire, but I want you to play a prop." I said, "If you'd have said fullback, I'd still be coming." <laughs> And he says, that's all I needed to hear. I'll see yeah. you, you know, and we'll see you at training. So, yeah, it, it was Rod Stock, War of the Roses, and uh, two very good teams played against each other that day. They did. The Lancashire side, halfbacks, Edwards Gregory. Yeah, yeah. Looks they, forward, looks forward, Mike Gregory. Yeah. They, then everybody bought into the Roses game then. I, I, I wish we still had it now. In yeah. preparation for international games, when clubs bought into the concept of the War of the Roses, it was it was a really worthwhile competition, and uh, they put the players out and the crowd turned up. I think I, I don't know what you'd probably tell me the crowd as well, but it was a good crowd that night. Six thousand. Yeah, so you know it was it was a well worth venture, and, yeah. and like I say, if it was a selection process, there were some good players on the field that day. Do you keep your shirts? Are you a memorabilia man? Do you, have you, do you yeah, I've got them all. I've got the Yorkshire shirt. Yeah. Um, I've got the England shirt and um, I've got some quite 
key personal attribute shirts tucked away upstairs. I've, yeah. And again, I sometimes wonder what the hell I'd ever do with them. Um, I've just sold quite a lot. You probably saw that. I know, I missed one. <laughs> and I sold them for uh, a worthwhile charity. I didn't, you know, I didn't sell them for personal gain. I gave them to a friend of mine who was uh, doing the London Marathon, Phil Thompson. Um, so I was happy for those to go to charity, but they, they weren't necessarily the ones that meant the most to me. I'm not sure I'd ever part with them. That's for my, my son and my daughter to decide what happens to them. Have you still got your medals as well? Yeah, I've got them in a bag upstairs. Um, occasionally they come out when I when uh, either I find them or uh, you know some of the younger players that um, I've coached in the academy and have come through the academy have asked me to take them in and show them. Uh, if you came into my house, there's one picture that's tucked away. Other than that, you probably would never know I'd played. There's no. You know, we don't adorn the walls with Andrew Kelly's, um, Andy Kelly's sort of tribute wall, but um, that's not because I'm not proud of who I were. I just don't display it. I'm quite... One last question. Um, yeah. 14-year playing career. Any regrets? Any what-ifs? Any if-onlys? Um, God, it's hard to say. You know... I look back at my whole Kingston time and I see it as a very successful time. I look back at my Wakefield time and I see it as a very successful time. Um, should I have been more like a Chris Burton or, a, you know, a, a, you know, should I have been a more nuggety player? Would I have gone on tour? You know, I don't know. My, my regret was I never played for Great Britain and um, I'd like to blame the selectors for that, but I'm, I'm wise enough now to know there were things I could have done better. You know, I played out wide. I could have come to Middlemore, I think. You know, there's things I could have done to change that. You, you learn that as you go on. That you are responsible for your own destiny in all respects. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Well, this is part one of our chat. We're going to, in a couple of weeks, we're probably going to have a look. We're going to talk about your coaching career. But just to, uh, from a, a, um, a playing point of view, thank you. That was wonderful. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. The time went really quick. Um, it did, didn't it? So I um, really enjoyed that and uh, appreciate you asking me. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening to episode 10 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms worldwide, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and for further information and real-time updates on the podcast, I have been Lee Robinson. Thank you to Andy Kelly, and we will catch you down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Tris Gamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!